Morning Liberty. Well, hey, everyone. Welcome back to the Good Morning Liberty podcast. I decided to steal the intro again from Nate. You jumped the gun on me that time. My name's Chuck. Hey, and I'm Nate. And uh, this is Good Morning Liberty podcast, like I mentioned, a place where we pursue life, liberty, and the pursuit of meaning. Yeah. It's it's just, you know, two friends coming together. We, we're we business owners. We've had different businesses here in Nashville, Tennessee. That's where we're at, by the way. We should say Nashville sometimes. Yes. People think Nashville's cool, so we might as well use that sometimes. It is. Per, I mean, we've been here about 10 years, and it's getting uh, cooler by the day. It is. It, <laughs> it is, for sure. But, yeah, we, uh, we just were both two business owners, former musicians. We've toured all around the world just in all kinds of places you would never want to go ever yeah but hey we learned a lot in that dying business yes yeah <laughs> if you guys want to talk about the music business sometime have we got some words for you i will say nashville being an it city i mean like even uh, politicon which has been hosted out in la for the last couple of years it's it's being hosted this year in nashville i know it's pretty cool i'm pretty pumped about politicon i'm a little i'm a little uh i don't know there's going to be a lot of people from both sides there yeah. And that's really interesting because normally that's exactly what we want though. What you see when both sides are interacting, normally it's just a lot of violence and fights and terrible things. I wonder how many protesters so, are gonna be there. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know if there'll be a lot of you know, like Ben Shapiro is gonna get up and talk. Are people just gonna be booing the entire time? I don't know. You know? Uh, Jordan Peterson's gonna talk. Yeah. Are they gonna let him speak? Also actually Diane Feinstein. Yeah, I mean know? there yeah, there's people on both sides of the political ideology and they're all gonna be there talking and hanging out with one another and I think we need to go I think we need to go live as as much as possible while we're there because we might catch something big. It's going to be interesting. I, I wonder if any of our listeners have been out to Politicon in L.A. Yeah, if you have, yeah. uh, hit us up on Facebook or Twitter or Instagram or our emails, Nate or Charlie at GoodMorningLiberty.us, and let us know what to expect. I think it's going to be cool. You know, Nashville's hosted uh, some other things, haven't they, that L.A. usually hosts? Like, didn't we do uh, the Golden Globes or something? Or? I'm not sure. I don't know about that one. I'm no, not sure. maybe it wasn't uh, one of those award that. shows. I mean, they always do the CMAs here and the yeah. you know just some different music awards things. But I don't know about the, them. Their actors awards. They might not want to come to Nashville. Maybe the Grammys or something. I know there was something. There could have been. I yeah. You know, now that I check, you're right. There was something. Yes, yeah, for sure. Hey, do you want to do the news? Yes, I do. I was trying to see how up-to-date we are on how cool Nashville is. We're not. And clearly, <laughs> we're not as hip. You know? I've been to downtown Nashville like twice in the last year. Yeah. So pretty much to, the only reason, unless you're going to go get drunk, that you want to go to downtown Nashville would be to see a Preds game. That's what we did the other night. Yeah, this, which is what we did the other night. Or to uh, go to the DMV. <laughs> like that's about... That's about it. Oh, I needed the to county tell you, clerk's office. I needed to tell you, they charged me $30 for parking the other night. Really? I saw it on my credit card statement. Oh, with that lot we went to? Yeah. Mm, that's yeah. not good. We went to park in a spot, for all you guys that care about Preds games, we went to park in a spot that was only $15, and it ended up being full, and we were there early. Imagine that. Yeah. They ran a shortage. <laughs> so <clears throat> that scarce resource was taken up for 15 bucks. And so we went to another lot and I could have swore the guy said 20 bucks. I was like, ah, $5 more. No big deal. Nope. Double the price. Huh? And about the same exact parking distance, which is fine because look, supply and demand. Yeah. Hey, that's what they could do. If, if we didn't like the price, we could have left and walked really far or taken a scooter if those are still legal down there. There's no way I was walking any further. Yeah. That was a long walk. It was like two blocks. I wanted to be there. 
<laughs> it's convenience. So I did some headlines earlier. I looked up some stuff. Are we going to continue this? Because yesterday was a lot of fun. Yeah. Let's do the news. This is called the GML News. Maybe we call this like drive-by headlines or sure. something. We'll just yeah. run through these headlines. These are some of the things that people might be looking at or maybe some things that people aren't looking at that they should be talking about. So we'll and just... Then, and then from there, we pick one or two to take a deep dive on for, yeah. the, for the podcast That's and not explain a bad idea. the Liberty Way. I like it. I like it. So this from CNN. Check this out, Charlie. Employees at Target are now complaining that they've begun making less money since the corporation decided to raise their minimum wage to $15 an hour. Some of these employees are actually reporting that since getting the raise to $15 an hour, they're now making upwards of $200 less per paycheck. So what's the reasoning behind that? Well, of course, Target cut everyone's hours in an effort to pay for those uh, higher labor costs and to reduce the amount of people that are receiving all of their benefits that they give. Well, I think this is the exact opposite of what people were expecting. Oh, man, there's no way anyone would have ever said that this would happen. Quickly, quickly, you had somebody make a comment because you were talking about your family having to close the grocery store with yeah. Illinois raising it up to $15 an hour pretty soon. And somebody said, well... Just raise the prices yeah. <laughs> because, you know, the, the employees are going to be making more money. So when they spend money at the grocery store, just raise the prices. This was actually and this is funny, because if you if you were to go into the argument and just say, well, when people raise the minimum wage, people just end up raising the prices on everything. People would be like, oh, there's that's just your opinion. There's no actual facts backing that up. That doesn't really happen. Well, this is actually funny because I went in with the more emotional side of the argument instead. And I said, hey, my family owns a grocery store in a really small town, and they cannot afford to pay their workers $15 an hour. They've decided to close their store. And this person's immediate reaction was, well, since the people are making more money, why don't they just raise all their prices to pay for the extra labor cost? Which hurts all the other poor people yeah. in the community. <laughs> it's like, so you're going to benefit the five people that work at the grocery store at the expense of the hundreds of other people that live in the community. Yeah. And, and that's tens of other people. Yeah. There's not that many people. Yeah. Something like that. There's like, what, 300 people? No, it's in? not that many. No, it's oh. like 150 maybe. Okay. So you could say yeah, hundreds. If like then. people are sleeping over at other people's houses <laughs> for the night. From the neighboring. Then it's at 150. From yeah. the neighboring villages. No, but I just thought that was funny because that was their immediate response was, well, I mean, they can just raise their prices to make up for the extra labor costs. I'm like, Ex Exactly. That and exactly. There's no net benefit then. Yeah. So if the if the <laughs> workers now they were like, well, their workers will be making more money, so they can afford to pay for more expensive stuff at the grocery store. And I'm just like, where's the benefit to the worker if they're going to spend all their extra money immediately at the store on more expensive goods? <laughs> what? Where's the benefit? There's not. There, there isn't one. You know who does benefit in that situation? The government. The government, because they get to charge a tax rate on the wage. And when the wage goes up, they make more money off of that person. Because it's a percentage. Yeah, it's a percentage. So the only person that truly benefits in that scenario is the government. That, yeah. That's it. That's it. Okay. And Target, especially from the CNN article, uh, people are losing. Just like Amazon, by the way. Amazon switched to $15 an hour, took away the stock options, all of that. People are making less money. Imagine yep. that. P the productive employees, the people who are doing good, are upset because they were already, some of the really good employees, they were already at $15 an hour. And they were getting stock options and all this stuff. And now... 
everyone's at $15 an hour, meaning they're not getting paid for the added benefits that they put on anymore. Now you could be the worst employee at the company and be making $15 an hour. And this reminds me of what Margaret Margaret Thatcher said, who was uh, the prime minister of UK in the 90s, I believe, uh, maybe early 2000s, 80s, 90s, 80s, 90s. She said, you would rather the poor be poorer as long as the rich were less rich. Yep. Because that's what they're doing. They're taking more money from the rich, that's but the it's thing. not actually helping any of the poor. That's the thing. Even George Orwell, who was a socialist, said was that, that the problem with socialists, it's, it's not that they love the poor so much as they hate the rich. Yeah. That's the goal. As long as we can have less rich people, it's fine. There's yeah. no one to envy. There's no one to be mad at. Poor people be damned. Yeah. Doesn't matter. The poor people can be more poor, but at least there aren't rich people. Yeah. So there we go. Problem solved. On to the next one. Market Watch. Nate, what do we got? Well, we have this. Yeah. From Market Watch, billionaire investor and so-called market oracle Warren Buffett is now sitting on a record pile of cash. Yes. The most famous investor of our time, maybe... All of history is now sitting on a record $122 billion in cash. So Buffett cites a statistic that measures the valuation of U.S. companies being the reasoning. He says that we are seeing valuation ratios that haven't been seen since the dot-com bubble some 20 years ago. Now, why would somebody like Warren Buffett do this? Well, he is uh, he is waiting for the market to crash at some point in time. He does not trust the valuations that are in the market, and he is waiting for a time that he can buy in when everything's a lot cheaper. He thinks that everything's too highly valued right now. His best and most sound advice that he's always told everyone, buy low, sell high. That's so what? So the market's been on a bull run. He's basically sold almost all of his assets, it, it would seem, a lot. to sit on $122 billion in cash. That way, when the banks collapse again, he can give them another loan, yeah. like he did last time in 2008. Yeah, obviously pretty smart guy. Yes. Um, so the just so you know the valuation, what he's talking about, where the uh, statistical measurement on this valuation, you know yesterday how we talked about, and if you didn't hear yesterday's episode, go back and listen. Um Yesterday, we talked about the fact that Amazon has taken in, in total, over their entire existence, they've taken in like $27 billion in net profit. That's the money that they've had left over after all of their expenses over the entire time they've existed, a total of $27 billion. Yet, they are valued by the market at over a trillion dollars. So that's this valuation ratio that Warren Buffett is talking about. People keep pouring more and more money and investments into these companies, and it's such a higher ratio over the amount of money that these companies are actually bringing in and they're actually profiting that he sees that we're in a giant bubble right now. And eventually, those valuations are going to go back down to a, a reasonable standard at some point in time, and he'll actually buy in at that time. The chickens are going to come home to roost. They will eventually. You can keep blowing a bubble up as long as you can. Eventually, it's going to pop. That's the thing. Next on our drive-by headlines from <laughs> Forbes, NASA has released... Oh, we missed the money.com one. <clears throat> oh, I, oh, well, my apologies. Let's <laughs> go my back favorite website. <laughs> to money.com. Yeah, so uh, we all know Amazon, those EV, evil, greedy, terrible, no good people, just awful, they're, awful people. And they're EV as well. They are also EV. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, Malevolent. So Amazon's main thing when they came into the market, their their big sales point was that you could you can become a Prime member and you can get free two-day shipping on like 
tons of items, just thousands and thousands, maybe millions of items. So that's kind of been their thing for, for a long time. Well, now, yesterday, they've announced that Prime members don't just get free two-day shipping. You now get free one-day shipping, next-day shipping on any, for any Prime member. And guess what? It's not even, you know how we have that Prime Now thing and you got to spend like 25 bucks for them to do the, to do the delivery? It's, there's no minimum. It can be a $2 order and you can get a next day delivery on it. So just, I mean, this happened to me yesterday. Yeah. What, what did I ordered a printer yesterday and it'll be here today. It's, it's one day delivery for that, free. That capitalism, man, we got to stop it. And you know, this was such a genius idea by Bezos because anytime you order anything online and like you see a price of like 1999 and then you go to check out and it's like, oh, shipping five ninety nine. You're like, I didn't want to pay twenty five dollars for this product. So it's a genius marketing because it's like, yeah. you know, you sell the product for nineteen ninety nine, you get free shipping, and people are willing to pay one hundred and fifty dollars a year for that. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's unbelievable. Plus, you get to watch all kinds of movies and TV shows and all kinds of other benefits. Yeah, they're so. starting to do comedy specials and. Yep. Crime, man. A lot of crime documentaries, right? Yep. That's crime. what I, that's what I spend basically prime. all my time doing. With crime. crime on Prime. <laughs> uh, prime crime. Hey, what about Forbes? Did you want to do this one or do you want me to do it? I think I would. I just want to slip one in real quick. Go ahead. Yeah. yeah. So from Forbes, NASA has released new data revealing that Earth now has more trees than it did even 20 years ago. The biggest gains come from India and China with plans like the one in India that led to the planting of 50 million trees in just one day. So what about all those claims of continued deforestation being one of the major causes of climate change? This is good news if you're someone that is open to good news. Trees eat CO2, literally. They open their mouths and eat it. That's just science. If you're worried about CO2, then more trees than at this time in the year of 1999 is a good thing. So North America has more trees than it did 100 years ago. So we're tearing down all the rainforest and there's not going to be any trees soon, right? Well, that's that's one of the environmental uh, alarmist claims. Hmm. Okay. But data now is proving that to be false. Even even NASA, a socialist organization like NASA. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, wasn't the Amazon rainforest on fire a couple weeks ago? And what happened to that news story? Um, I haven't heard anything about it. It's just one of those flavor of the day news stories that people want to care about. Yeah. The, the problem is once it's not on fire anymore and then there's more trees later because of it, um, no one wants to talk about that. There's no dire circumstance no, anymore. It can't be used for yeah. political weaponry anymore. Yeah. You know, Gatlinburg was on fire two years ago, yeah. which is in Tennessee, mm -hmm. the Smoky Mountains. And I drove through there probably like six months ago. That's fine. I didn't see anything. No fires? No, no fires. <laughs> Everything seems to be growing back. And uh, it's like the Phoenix transformation, you know? Well, forests do need to burn like that's just a natural thing right now sometimes people live around those forests and that's dangerous you know that's that's maybe not a good thing but the fact that people live around a forest does not change the scientific law and the fact that forests need to burn down at one, at some point in time yes that's just that's just what they do it's a thing it's like the i think elton john wrote a song about this for a movie called the lion king it's the circle of life it is it is quite not, literally the circle of life. I know we're in Nashville. We're both former musicians, but I'm not going to sing on the podcast for Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for that. I think sometimes I have thrown in a, a few little tunes, <laughs> but I'll 
I'll direct you to my music later. All right. And this final article from CNN, which might get the bulk of our talk today, Bernie Sanders, Senator Bernie Sanders, presidential hopeful 2020, if he's, oh, never mind, has released his plan to nationalize all U.S. corporations. Wait, no, sorry, that's not the plan. The plan is to force publicly traded companies to issue new shares. What they're going to do is they're going to make room for at least 20% ownership in the companies. The plan would also dictate that employees pick 45% of the board of directors. And in addition, Sanders would set up a bank for buying companies that wish to sell, giving employees the first right to buy the companies. So... So it is a plan to nationalize all U.S. corporations. It's just a backdoor plan. Yeah, that's not what he's calling it. He's not going to come out and say it directly because, you know, that's obvious socialism. Yeah. He's going to backdoor social you. Well, he's uh, he's a backdoor socialist. And he's obviously decided he knows he has to separate himself from Elizabeth Warren. Like they've been running neck and neck. And he tried the whole heart attack thing. That didn't work. And so so now, now he's like, I've got to go even further to the left. I've got to become just purebred socialist. And that's the only way that he can. He A couple days ago, when asked the difference between the two of them, he said that uh, he pointed that Elizabeth Warren had said that she was a capitalist in her bones, which is a flat out lie. But she did say that. And he said, and I am not. So he is trying to separate himself by the the shade he's trying to throw at Elizabeth Warren is that she said she's a capitalist. Yeah, that's evil, the, greedy yeah. capitalist. Even though she, well, her policy proposals aren't that, but she made her fortune yes. off of capitalism. <laughs> that's how she made all so all that, of her fortune. Now that she has hers and she's one of the elite, you know, because that's what happens in socialism. The elite don't suffer. Yeah, it's only everyone else. And she, you know, she's obviously wealthy. As, you know, most people who own casinos on Indian reservations are, you know, so you can't really fault her for that. I'm pretty sure she teaches a class at Harvard or something like that, like one class. Yeah, she did. And And she was getting paid a couple hundred grand a year to teach a class. Oh, really? Really? 400 grand a year to teach one class. Hmm. Hmm. Must have been a really great class. I saw this really funny meme I wanted to run by you. Um, It was a post on Twitter about Bernie's heart attack that yeah. you mentioned. And uh, this comes from at Nelson Marty I. There's two I's on this one, actually. Okay. Kind of like Pam with two M's. Uh, <laughs> Nelson Marty E I. Anyway, go follow this guy. He said Bernie waited a day in Vegas to get his angioplasty, which is his uh, stint that he had in for his heart attack, basically. Uh, and in Norway, he would have waited 39 days. In Finland, which Bernie has also cited as an inspiration for his socialist program, the National Medicare for All, he would have waited 22 days. In Sweden, Bernie would have waited 42 days. In Cuba, he would have died. <laughs> <laughs> now, I don't know if those are the exact numbers. And he's yeah. a senator, so he probably wouldn't have had to wait. But a normal person waiting for an angioplasty to get to go to the cath lab, which is where you go to get your stint put in when you have a blockage um you probably would be on a wait list because those have been reported i don't know the exact days but i thought it was a pretty uh pretty realistic funny yeah tweet we we just say that it's at least structurally true yes yeah we we don't know the exact days it probably would have been more than one day for a normal person yeah but being the you know ranking official that he is yeah. You know. Well now so someone close to me was in the cath lab uh last weekend and they when they were doing the uh 
the uh, heart cath, they said, if we see that you need a stent or something or a blockage removed, we'll go ahead and do it right then. So it wasn't even a day wait. They're like, if we see that you need one, we're going to do it while, while we've got you in. Wow. Yeah. Just right there. Same day. That's it's like in it, this broken American healthcare system. Yeah. It's almost like Amazon's running that hospital. Yeah. It's pretty, pretty well, good. Is she a, a prime member with that hospital? I guess so. Yeah. <laughs> hospital prime membership. S- same day angioplasties. <laughs> same. It's get a special. Your, if you guys didn't get it last weekend, they'll come around again around President's Day. So Get your same day stints. <laughs> <laughs> Running a special right now. Now, unfortunately, she didn't have a trade-in towards that. So the, she did have to pay the full price. Yeah. So that's not too, that's, you know, Be, that's too bad. Before we get into the plan, I wanted to talk a just go into a little bit of that healthcare because um, healthcare is obviously a field that we're experts in. Uh, One of our businesses is a IT healthcare consulting company. And we also have lots of friends and everybody in the healthcare industry. Nashville's actually also the healthcare capital of the world. Um, Believe it or not, lots of healthcare companies are incorporated here in Nashville. And so lots of people work in the industry here. But what I wanted to mention was, uh, regarding like the, the same day, you know, it's kind of a joke, the prime same day, but also we posted a video of Ron Paul when he was mentioning, um, you know, when he practiced medicine in the sixties before Medicare and Medicaid, the hospitals never turned any away, anybody away. And to this day, the hospital doesn't turn anyone away Yeah, ever. Yeah. You can come into the emergency room for anything ever and you will be treated. Like if you're having a heart attack, they'll give you a stent or they'll put you on bypass or whatever it is needed to save your life. There's no one dying because they don't have insurance. No, they that doesn't happen. They take you, and then actually, even legally, right now, they can't even ask for for your payment. At that, they can't discuss no. payment when they take you. Not in. until you've been seen by a provider. This is actually I was telling you about that Netflix movie I watched uh, last weekend. It's called um, it's called Fractured, not Fracture. It's called Fractured. And in this, uh, the guy takes his daughter to the hospital because she fell. And she had an accident, and they go into the ER, and she's struggling to breathe, and it's a crowd of the ER and they won't even look at her. She has to sit in the waiting room while she's barely breathing and bleeding, which first off is not a thing. They would take you immediately. Yep. Um, secondly, they put him through this grueling process of going through how he's going to do the payment. Uh, if he's doing cash payments, got to be up front. What his insurance company is, all that kind of stuff. They can do. They can put that in a movie if they want to, because I've seen a lot of crazy stuff in movies before. But I think it's important people know that is not the case. That is not a thing. When you go into the ER, they do not ask you about payment when when you go in there. And if you go in there and you're struggling to breathe or you're b- bleeding or something like that, they're they are not going to make you sit in a chair. Nope. And wait before you go in. So this this movie was drastically dramatizing this idea that hospitals are you know they're not going to take you unless you can give them money immediately nope and it's just simply not that my wife and i were watching it and she's you know she works in the hospital um and she's like they're you know they can't even ask you those questions it's illegal yeah they literally can't yeah i went into the er and i didn't even have insurance or anything when i went into the er uh the first time i went in never said a thing about payment the entire time i went in i got stitches i saw the doctor i then did all those things Never did. They sent a bill later, that, right. but but that was it. They did, didn't say a thing about payment. So, when I when I went into the ER, this is probably about two years ago now. 
I was having um, what appeared to be an allergic reaction. Like I had hives, I had trouble breathing, my body was swelling, and I went in with these symptoms. And as soon as I described my symptoms, they immediately, the nurse immediately got vital signs on me and I immediately got a room. That like they barely got my name. Yeah, and I was the doctor was in my room within five minutes. I, I and they were pushing steroids. They were giving me all kind. They were treating me. Yeah, and then once I was stable, they got, I had a breathing treatment and all kinds of stuff. And once they knew I wasn't going to die, um, and they I was stable, a registrar came in to get my information. Yeah. Um, that was after I was able to be able to give my information. Similar story. I walked into the ER last year and I had what's called radial nerve palsy uh, at that point in time. So I woke up and the radial nerve, which goes just imagine from your elbow, it's not where it starts, but if you can imagine from your elbow through the top of your forearm and down into your thumb and kind of the top of your wrist. Well, I had what's called radial nerve palsy that nerve was dead i could not feel it could not do anything well what this caused was me to have the inability to really raise up my arm or to move my hand or anything so when i went into the er i stood at the desk and i said hey i've got i've got an issue i can't move my arm immediately they call the code and they rushed me back there they had they had to call a stroke protocol on on that Mm -hmm. they immediately took me back there within maybe two minutes of walking in the front door i've got someone lining up an iv i've got four people in the room i've i've got all this stuff around me no one asked me to swipe my credit card or anything beforehand not one talk about payment whatsoever nope so it's it's a a, a very common misconception that you cannot get any help from a hospital without paying them. That's, that's not, it's not really the case. Now, elective surgeries, things like that. Yeah. Yep. You got You got to pay them. You got to pay them. I had to have the surgery on that first time I went into the ER, which was uh, for uh, cutting the tendon in my finger. That was an elective surgery. It wasn't life threatening, anything like that. And I did have to pay them. I didn't have insurance. We had to pay up front before I had the surgery. So that's true. But when you're life threatening injuries, you need life, you know, life saving surgery. No one's going to sit there with a credit card machine forcing you to pay them before you do it. Exactly. So, anyway. and for instance, I mean, I know this is empirical evidence, like it's real life experiences that we've had, but you guys can go research the data. I, I would like somebody to find me an instance where someone died because a healthcare provider was asking for payment before they treated them. Yeah. It doesn't exist in America, no. not even before Medicare and Medicaid. And the other thing is I wanted to mention is like I I mentioned on the show before, I have ear surgery coming up. Now that is, uh, it's an elective surgery because I don't have anything life threatening going on right now. But my doctor told me that, you know, this, uh, the massive cells that I have growing essentially inside of my ear, my inner ear that I have to get removed. Um, if it had made its way also known as a tumor. Yeah. Tumor. (laughs) Um, if it had made its way, it's not cancerous though, which is good news. If it had made its way like into my, my brain, which it can do in severe cases of the condition that I have, uh, then he would immediately have consulted neurosurgery and I would have had to go to immediately into surgery. That's without any payment up front. Yeah. They would have, you don't even have insurance. No, they would have saved, Mm -hmm. saved my life essentially. But now it's not, I'm not in a dire situation. I have some time. It's a moderate case. Um, he wants it, he wants me to do it before the end of the year and I'd got to make my payment up front, uh, since I don't have insurance, then I, I do have to make that payment up front, but luckily it's a relatively small payment for, uh, fixing something that could become 
you know, much more serious down the road. Yeah. You but can... if it was, I'm just telling if it was serious, I, I, cause I asked my doctor, did you see this, <clears throat> you know, I, cause I don't know how to read CT scans. I was like, did it show that it was like making its way into my brain? He's like, Oh no. He was like, if I would have seen that, we would immediately got you to Vanderbilt, which is like the research uh, hospital here in Nashville that has does a lot of neurology now stuff. Now you were to pause. You were lucky enough to have the five grand to front the expenses for a CT scan, right? So no, that's the only reason you got that. No, it didn't cost me five grand. Four. Nope. Four, four grand. Nope. Nope. There's hmm. a thing called cash prices because, <laughs> look, healthcare companies don't like dealing with insurance companies. It's yeah. So complicated. <laughs> Because that's what we, Nate and I, with our healthcare company, that's what we deal with. We develop software that helps healthcare companies navigate the ridiculous process it takes to collect on claims from insurance companies mainly. Yeah. And so if you're willing to pay cash, they greatly reduce your costs. I paid um, $349 for a CT with with and without contrast, which mm. means the IV, Ooh, like uh, the dye they put in your... In your arm? More insider information. Um, you didn't hear this from me, but HCA, um, quite possibly the biggest healthcare corporation that that owns hospitals that there is in the world, you know how much they've collected on their expenses this year so far, what they've billed people? I don't. Is this in their report? It, it will be. Yeah. Um, 26%. Oh, wow. That's what they've collected. 26%. Yeah. Yeah, so um, th- I was talking to my wife, and we were just talking about the healthcare expenses, and she's like, you know, we've billed this, this, and this, but we're only going to collect like 30% of it. That's that's all we're going to get. And the problem with the numbers that Bernie Sanders throws out all the time, when he says what we spend on healthcare in America, he's using that full number, that massive number that the hospital billed, that they never receive back. It's all written off. Right. So it's 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 a it's a fake inflated made up number. Now I'm not saying healthcare isn't too expensive. Definitely is. It's not what I'm saying at all, but what I am saying is we could at least attempt to use real numbers when we're talking about it. But that wouldn't get the point across that you're trying to make, I guess. It wouldn't. So well let's talk about his plan to overtake <laughs> companies like HCA. Yeah. So <laughs> so he released his plan yesterday. He went full socialist on us and that he's been trying to well, be democratic socialist. He's but, always been full socialist. Yeah, but now he went full socialist as far as his his outward looking plans yeah. where he now wants companies. Well, I won't say want. He now is going to force companies as president, if you were the win, to make available 20% of their ownership to the employees of that company. So now as uh, real quick before we get into that, as president, how would he accomplish that? Um, I mean, he would have to have Congress pass a law or something. I mean, this hmm. can't be done by executive order. Yeah, I don't know if he would have to. My my thoughts on it was is that it would be through executive order or through the uh, thousand different agencies that are separated from Congress. Ah, like the SEC. Yeah, can like make you know since these are publicly traded traded companies, they're subject to S yes. uh, SEC regulations. This is in fact what he called an SEC overhaul. That's what ah, it's yeah, what it's going to be. So, so he does not have to go through Congress to do be this. By benevolent dictator fiat. Yep. Yep. So they're going to have to make available twenty percent of their ownership to the employees. Now, well, it's not just make available though. They're going to create. Create. Yes. They have to add. Yeah, that's the point. So what they're going to be doing is they're going to be 
adding new shares. So what, what this will do, if you just imagine that there's 100 shares available for Apple, if there's 100 shares available, what Bernie Sanders' plan would do is dictate that there would now be 120 shares available. And those new 20 shares would be available for the employees of the company to have ownership in. So this is called, what this would do is it would dilute the shares. It would dilute the ownership stake of all the people who own a portion of the of the company at that moment. Now, private companies, they decide to do this all the time in the market, right? Yes. They yeah, add, they issue new shares all the time. They issue new shares. The only There's very few companies that have never done it, like Berkshire Hathaway. They've never issued new shares ever. But they did start a new, so there's Berkshire Hathaway A and Berkshire Hathaway B. And Berkshire Hathaway B is the side of Berkshire that normal people can afford. Their stock's yeah. like $100 or something like that. Right. But the other one's like 200000 something right. dollars. Because it's been the same amount of shares since yeah. inception. Yeah. Um, so what this would do is they would force them to issue new shares. Now, Okay, this all sounds well and good if you're someone who's not looking into this, but here's the problem. This would really, really hurt people who own stocks currently in these companies. Now, who owns, I mean, just picture this evil, greedy, like, what do you picture as like the typical stock stock market owner? Yeah, you know? Well, it's, you know, a guy in a business suit sitting in a, a comfy office chair with his feet up on the desk, smoking a cigar. Uh, with rich mahogany cabinets full of leather-bound books. Yeah. That's the that's the person uh, who owns all the stocks. He's probably got floor-to-ceiling glass walls. He's uh, having you know an affair with his executive assistant. Um, and he's petting a white cat. Yeah, petting a, a <laughs> white or hairless cat, probably, uh, drinking bourbon, smoking a cigar. And maybe he's even just on a golf course wearing, like, a white polo shirt with khaki pants or something. I, I have the you picture know? in my mind of the the owner of the Monstars in yeah. Space oh, yeah. Jam. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> true. Yep, yep, yep. So who is this Michael Jordan? So this is the <laughs> this is the picture that we have when we think about people who own stocks. You know, but the problem is that's not what people who own stocks look like. Now that's what some people who own stocks look like maybe like 10 yeah like so a very <laughs> a small portion of them yeah the rest of the people who own stocks the biggest the majority of people who own stocks look like your mom and dad your the, grandma your grandma you know they're maybe they're a teacher that has a uh, pension at their school that's what the majority of stock owners look like so what people don't realize is that a little over half of the country a little over half of americans have money in the stock market. So it, it's not just as if there's these 100 terrible 0.01% people in New York that own all the stocks. It's, it's your parents. It's people who have 401ks or pension plans, IRAs. That's what I was going to say. You yeah. may be you know, contributing a percentage of your paycheck to your 401k, which yeah. most you know, major corporations have, or you have an IRA or some form of investment that you do usually through your company. It's just a percentage of your paycheck. And that way you don't have, you don't worry about anything because the financial market is too complicated, right? Like, Oh, I'm just going to give retirement's important, right? So yeah. I'm just going to give a percentage of my paycheck, each paycheck to this, this 401k, whatever that means. Well, what a 401k is, it's just a fund that this office that another, that financial people manage and they get, you know, 3% of 
you know, Nate's paycheck and they get 6% of your mom's paycheck and they get 5% of uh, Tommy's paycheck and they get whatever the maximal allowable amount by government fiat uh, from uh, John's check or whatever. And they put all this money together, which sometimes is millions to billions of dollars. And what that 401k, who, whoever's managing that fund, what they do is they go invest that money and most of it is done in the stock market. Yeah, some of it might be in U.S. Treasury bonds, things like right. that. Um, so what's that? You got? Well, I was just going to finish there and say what the reason why you get a return is because their incentive is to make a return on, yeah. on investment because they get a percentage of what you give them. Yeah. And then obviously you make a return what's, what's left over from what they don't take. Well, and if they don't give you a return, then people in the future will be less likely to put their money with, give their money to them. Right. Like you wouldn't go to a mutual fund that has a track record of losing money every year that you would just keep your own money and not give it to them. So the problem with this, when you're thinking about now you're now shift from that evil, greedy, terrible person in their glass office. And remember that the bulk of people who own stocks actually just look like you or your parents. So, uh, or your grandparents. So, Here's the problem. Doing this delusion of shares, issuing new shares, 20% on top of whatever amount of shares each company has, is going to immediately devalue everyone's shares that they have. And this is how it happens. If you've got, let's just say that Apple is worth $100. Let's say they're worth $100. And they've got 100 shares. Well, that could pretty easily... that's $1 per share. That's what everyone's value is. So if you have one share, then you've got a dollar. If your parents have two shares, they've got $2 in Apple. And so that's what their valuation is for their stock ownership. Now, here's the problem. Remember, that was $100 that the company's worth, and there's 100 shares available. Now what Bernie wants to do is change that 100 shares that are available and make it 120 shares that are available. That's a 20% increase. So the problem here is that that valuation on the company doesn't change. The company is still worth $100. And now, instead of there being 100 shares, there's 120 shares. So now everyone that has one share no longer has $1 for each share. That actually brings the value of their share down to 83 cents immediately. When you offer those those 20% new shares, that's a 17% decline. So if you have your money in the stock market, if your pension fund is invested in the stock market, your 401k, all those things, issuing 20% new shares without immediately raising the value of the companies by also 20%, issuing 20% new shares um, immediately means that the value of your retirement fund your por- portfolio, all the money that you have in savings, the value is reduced by 17%. You have a 17% decline immediately when when this happens. That's not good. And to put it in perspective, let's say your reti- you know your retirement count is sitting at $100,000. So in your, you know, whatever, in your 30s or 40s, and it's sitting at $100,000 cuz you need probably a, a million or two to retire at 65 and still kind of live a decent life. Um you lose 17% immediately that you lost $17,000. Yeah. And the prob- just by just by executive order. And when you think about the future, let's say the value of companies, let's say this doesn't completely crash the stock market with it which it would, but let's just say that the value of the companies continued to increase over time. 
this actually takes way more than 17% from you because after you take the 17% out of the market, the 17% you lose, well, now your gains, 3 4% every single year, are based on a lower figure. So now you lose a compound amount of interest on that. Whereas if you would have had $100,000 and you were gaining 3% compounded every single year, that would be a much bigger number than what what's now going to be the case, which is $83,000 and then 3% compounded every single year. So it's not just taking 17% from you, unless you're taking your money out right now. Over yeah. time, this could reduce your potential earnings by 20, 30, 40%. So exponentially. It's exponentially. The more the more time you're going to be spending in the market, the more time you're going to have a retirement account, the more money this will steal from you over time. So the, it, this is not a good this is not a good thing just immediately on its face. Really bad. Now, full scale socialism means uh, state ownership of, of private industry, state ownership of companies. And Bernie's not going to come out and do that. That's why I call him a backdoor socialist. And so what is his actual, how does Bernie get to the ultimate goal, which is complete state ownership of private companies? Yeah, because so that's what this plan is. If it, That is actually what this plan is. So included in this plan, one of the stipulations will be that those employee owners will have what is called the first right of refusal whenever the company goes to sell. Just say that Apple decides that they want to sell. Maybe they have a buyer or something else. They don't want to own their company anymore. They want to put it on the market and sell it. Well, the the employees of the company have the first right to buy that company. So that it's called the first right of refusal. So they can say they don't want to buy it, and then it can go to other people that want to, that want to buy it. So what he's done is he's lined it up where the employees are going to take 20% ownership and they have the first right to buy a company if for some reason they want to sell. Now, you might be thinking, well, these employees, I mean, you're an employee somewhere. You don't just have enough money to buy the company. You don't have that kind of money. So it doesn't matter. They're not going to be able to buy it. And then it's just going to go on to whoever does have the money, right? But there's a plan for that. Oh, we got a plan for that. Bernie wants to establish a new bank whose sole purpose will be financing the employees who want to buy the companies, okay? So if you have a company that is looking to sell and this first right goes to the employees and they don't have the money, the government will have a bank available to to give that employee money so they can buy the company. So now you're thinking, well, I mean, that's not, that's not government ownership of this stuff. I mean, that's the employees going to own it, right? Right, yeah. You know? Well... Um, until the employee pays off that loan, who owns it? Who owns it? The bank. It's it's similar to... Uh, the lien holder. The lien holder. That's who owns <laughs> it. Just like when you go buy a house. You know, When you go buy a house, you don't say, hey, I've got $220,000 in my bank account. I would like to buy this $220,000 house. That's not what you say. If you're in Nashville, it's like five hundred. Yeah, I know. I say, <laughs> speaking of that, home value is like five years ago when I bought a house. It's probably right. way more than that now. Which is good, but most people for me. Uh, so you, most people don't have two hundred grand sitting in their bank. Yeah. So this, when you go to buy a house, you don't just have that money sitting in your bank. So you go sitting in your bank account. So you go to the bank and you say, "Hey, I would like to buy that house. Will you buy that house for me so I can live in it, and I'll pay you back with some interest. And over time, after I pay you back, I'll own the house." So that's what it. That's what happens when you go buy a house. And for most people, it's thirty years. Yeah, like so, thirty years. And there's so there's no Amazon Prime house buying. And option. what happens if you don't repay your mortgage? 
The bank takes the house. The bank takes the house because you don't ever own the house. The bank owns the house and you're buying the house from the bank. That's how it works. And that's how, by the way, I'm not saying anything negative about banks in that fact. That is the case. You did not have the money to buy that house. The bank had the money to buy that house. So they secured it for you, and they are now letting you pay them over time to obtain ownership of the house. And you use that house as collateral. Yes. So if you do not repay, then the bank can take the asset that they bought, which is the house. So they can recoup their investment. So now, let's put this into Bernie's corporation buying bank. What happens when an employee... Buys a company that was for sale. Why was the company for sale, by the way? Uh, you think it's because they were making so much money hand over fist and they want to get rid they want to get rid of this thing as soon as possible? Well, <clears throat> there can be several different reasons. Yeah. You know. Yeah. I mean, you can you can want to sell to do other things. Um, like, you know, Elon Musk sold his his share of PayPal, right? Because he wanted yeah. to do other things. Yeah. And there's reasons <clears throat> that people get out of you know, business ownership. A lot of people start companies to sell them eventually, you know, because they're good at starting companies. So there's other reasons to sell. Now you would have an employee who is making whatever the wages for an employee is that would be able to go to the government and get a loan to buy the corporation. And the obvious issue here is what happens if the employee what if the company isn't profitable? What if the company gets ran into the ground because they got rid of the original people that ran it? What if they don't repay the loan? What happens? What what happens? Well, it seems like the bank would uh, take their asset. And the bank is whom? The government. <laughs> Welcome to Socialism Backdoor Socialism 101. Yeah. So it's a, this literally, I mean, you know... <laughs> Kudos to Bernie for being such a coy, manipulative piece of you-know-what that he would be able to introduce this plan to literally nationalize as many corporations as possible and make it sound like it's something completely different. Kudos to him and his marketing department. He's obviously got way more people with a lot of brains and better hearts that are coming up with a way to buy all of these corporations. And, you know, good good job for them on being able to do that. Now, what would happen? Let's just say that a company is going bankrupt. Let's say they're going bankrupt and they decide they want to sell to someone. Do you think, you know, and an employee says, well, I'd like to buy this. Do you think the government's going to say, oh, no, we don't want to we don't want to buy this company? We don't want to do that. No way. No. No. They're going to buy it. So there's Just a, like they give everyone student loans. There's a couple bad things from <laughs> that. Yeah, exactly. There's a, that's one of the things. There's a couple bad things from that. One, you always have to ask yourself, what incentive structures does this line up? If you are someone who owns a company, you now have a lender of last resort to buy up your bankrupt company if something doesn't go well for you. You've got a buyer lined up. All the time now. So now you've got the government buyer lined up all the time. What happens if it's going bankrupt? You get the employee to go to uh, to buy it. This, you know, employee who knows nothing about what it actually takes to run a business or nothing about corporations whatsoever. The government buys it for them and then they go out of business. So then the government can take ownership over that corporation. The problem I see here is that this is creating a bailout, automatic bailout for every single publicly traded company. Because anyone that goes bankrupt, 
you're telling me that it, let's say none of the employees want to buy it. Let's say no one wants to buy it. You really think that there's not going to be some kind of union or something set up inside of that employee ownership that says anything that goes, we're, we're going to buy it. We're going to take ownership of it. You'll never lose your job. Yeah, you'll never lose. Don't, we're going to take it. It's fine. This is going to happen. And so now you have literally a failed business bailout lined up for every single business that does not have that, that does not ever turn a profit. Yep. That's that's not good. And what does this ultimately do? Well, <laughs> it, it decreases innovation and, and efficiency. Yeah, this is exactly what happens in socialist societies. Yeah. There, there's going to be no <laughs> Well, you take the incentive away for earning profit. Not that there's not an incentive to earn profit, but one of the incentives to make your company uh, do really well and and stay profitable and stay afloat is that you don't want to lose all your money. You don't want to just go completely bankrupt. You know, you don't want to lose your corporation because then your your life is over. You have these incentives behind when you start a business and you take it public. This removes that incentive. And it tells you, just like we saw in the housing crisis and all these other things, it tells you that the risk is gone. There's no risk anymore. If you fail, that's fine. We got it. Don't worry. And this creates a really bad structure for people who are starting businesses. So, and then we can talk about, you know, what is, like, what's the sales point of this plan for Bernie? Yeah, and I want to hammer home the point that if you lose that incentive, you lose the incentive to keep up with market demands by creating efficiencies and innovation and the true aspects of a free market. And one thing we disagree with was the bank bailouts is that in a free market, if you are not providing value and performing at a level that the market demands, then your business fails. And what happens when businesses fail? Well, new businesses that are better rise up and take their place. That's what should happen. But if we have this automatic bailout system, which is what Bernie's trying to trying to create, you end up what happened in, in Cuba and the Soviet Union where they you you are stuck with uh, what would you say they cars from the 50s that never get updated, never get innovated. there's no efficiencies created ever and you end up in a stagnant economy where eventually uh, you run out of money and millions of people die. that's that's the ultimate end to what these policies um, are indicative of. And that's what we're trying to stop, just so you know. When you're a libertarian like we are, you can come off as someone who's just selfish and greedy, and maybe we're just pro-corporation all the time. It's not actually the case. What we're pro is everyone having a better life and the best life possible and always growing and always making conditions better for everyone. Right. And this system completely destroys that idea and it sends everything in the opposite direction. So we're not against this because we just love business and we're just greedy people who want businesses to make a bunch of money. We we are against this because we don't want 100 million people to starve to death. And, and that's why we talk about this, you know. Um, so what's kind of the sales point behind this? Because I read a few articles. I read, I suffered through articles on the Huffington Post and Vox and and places like this so I could try Vice. and yeah all these people tried to figure out what they love about this and the idea behind this is when you have this employee ownership when you have this this 20% set aside for the people that work there well you would have this thing called dividends a, a lot of stocks have dividends a lot of stocks in the market do and what this is is when they have a profit the people that have 
own the portion of that company during that time frame that they made the profit, they will pay out a small percentage to each person who owns a percentage stake in the company. It's called a dividend. So that's what people are looking for here. That's actually what Bernie's aiming towards to get people behind this, is that when you're working for a profitable company, they will be paying you out dividends. You'll be making a portion of the profits whenever you're, whenever you're working at this business. And so he thinks that this is going to uh, create a better environment for workers and it's going to incentivize people to work harder and it's going to you know, incentivize growth in that way. And the issue with dividends, now a lot of companies give out dividends and that's, that's their business if they want to do it. The issue in mandating a dividend on every single company on 20% of their ownership is that it removes, say that you make profit as a business. Like Charlie said, it kills growth and innovation. Let's say you're making profit in your business and you're reinvesting similar to what Amazon has been doing for a long time, building up this massive infrastructure. Well, that's a portion every single year that instead of getting put back into the business and growing the business over time, it's just going to be taken out in profits. It makes me think of Venezuela, actually. Whenever I think, oh, sorry, I said Venezuela. Oops, he said, I roll. He said Venezuela. Oh, so um, <laughs> That's authoritarian, Nate, not socialist. Yeah, which, by the way, uh, Bernie would not call them authoritarian in one of the debates. I saw that earlier when I was uh, looking through Bernie videos. Um, anyway, so what this does is it removes money from the investment pool for them to grow the company. It instead takes the profits and goes home. Like, if you're someone who's starting a business, you know that for the first, for the first little while, you're not just, every, month, every dollar that comes in, you're not just gonna pay yourself all the profit that comes in from that business, if you're a smart business owner. Right. You're gonna set yourself on a modest salary and then all the extra money is going to go into growing the business so it can keep becoming a bigger and bigger business. And maybe that's done out of greed. Whatever. It doesn't matter. What does matter is that as you do that, you'll have more jobs available for more people. And you'll be providing more value in the market to more people. So what this does is it, it, it takes the money out of that, out, out of that growth opportunity. And instead just sends it back to the workers. And I guess, I mean, all oh, those workers are going to spend their money at the business, so they'll make the money back. <laughs> I don't know where the benefit it's is there. It's full really. circle. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. But so dividends, that's a money, it's a percentage return from the profits from a company. Now, here's the problem. In the stock market, I looked this up earlier, there are, there are technically 63,000 companies that are publicly traded. Now, those aren't all on the New York Stock Exchange or NASDAQ. There's like 10,000 that are, that are on there. Um, there's 63,000 publicly traded companies. Of those publicly traded companies, only 38% only of those turn a profit every year. The rest of them are losing money. That's crazy. It is. It's, it's pretty crazy. You think about people like, well, I mean, even if you looked at Amazon, for the largest portion of their existence, they were losing money. And Twitter never made any money. They had one quarter where they turned the profit. That was it. Snapchat. Snapchat. Uber, never made any money. Groupon. You know, all these, exactly, all these people, Uber, great example. Even the CEO said he doesn't think they'll ever be profitable. This he is what happened. Said that. This is what happened during the dot com bubble. Yeah. People were like, oh my God, the internet. We're mm -hmm. going to invest in all these companies. And most of them never made a profit. Yeah. And we had a bust. Yeah. So what this does is, 
if you set up this dividend structure where you're paying out percentage of profits, first off, you have to realize a small portion of the companies actually make a profit. There's not just going to automatically be profits to be spread around for everyone. You know, that's that's not just automatically the case. So to make this fair, then obviously there's going to be a portion of this plan that where the workers share in the company losses, yeah. right? I call that a negative dividend. Yes. And I, I don't think there will be one. This is the annoying part. So, well, if you own 100 shares and the company had profit, and let's say it was a $100, or let's say it's a dollar in profit per shareholder, so per stock, so yep. then you would get 100 bucks. What if the company had a dollar loss per share? Does everybody have <clears> to pay in that dollar loss? That's the problem. Wouldn't that be fair? As and we just and equal, as we say all the time, everybody wants the share in the profits. They never want to share in the losses. That's always mm. the really annoying part about this. So let's they want responsibility for when things are going good, but they don't want to take responsibility when things are going <laughs> yeah, bad. They want to be owners. Imagine that. That's the problem with thinking that you're an owner in a company. You want to be an owner of the company. But you want to have no liability for the company losing money. You only want to make money if the company makes money. You never want to lose money if the company loses money. That in itself means that you are not an owner. You are a worker at the company. Workers get paid, as Charlie knows. No matter what. No matter what, the workers get paid. It is not a given that the owners will get paid, ever. And the worker always gets paid, even if the company isn't profitable. So the the problem here is that in thinking that you're going to take 20% of each company and give it to the workers, and they're going to get dividends from the profits, but most of the companies don't even earn profits. Most of them are losing, actually. Most of them lose money. 62% of the companies that are publicly traded lose money every single year. So does that mean that these people are going to have money taken out of their paychecks every two weeks? Well, I think that's the fair thing to do. That is the fair thing to do. Yeah. Yeah. I, I be, doubt it will be the case. Yeah. Definitely won't be the case. Now, I, who would sign up for that? I pinpointed one other incentive structure that this is going to create. So remember, the idea is that you're going to get dividends from the profitable, profitable companies. Okay. Only 38% of them are profitable. Won't this create a structure where workers will only want to go work for the companies that are profitable, and they will not want to work for the companies that are not profitable, meaning that all of the workers, all of the labor, all of the money will gravitate towards the people who are doing really well already, and it will leave the people who are struggling. This just increases the Pareto distribution. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> to those who have everything, everything that's will good, be given. That's a good point. So it, if you're you're like, oh, that company is not making profit. They're not getting any dividends off it. I'm not going to go there. What this, does this do to small, struggling companies that are trying to rise up in the market? And compete. Yeah. It, well, it kills them. If you're not profitable, now this other company, this big corporation that's making profit, has a better chance of getting people competent people to come work for them which is by the way exactly what bernie wants i mean he even said we don't need you know 12 different kinds of deodorants we only need one yeah so then you're just gonna have like eventually we'll have like one corporation in america yeah the government the government yeah that's exactly what it, yeah <laughs> and so then we're only gonna have one kind of deodorant you know 
Well, which, you know, makes it fair for ladies. They're not going to get upcharged on their deal. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> you know, everything will just be the same price. And, uh, you know, because, you know, we're all the same. You know, yeah. there's no differences between people whatsoever. We all want the same things. We all have the same desires. You know, there's no difference. Nope. There's no diversity. We're all the exact same person. It's but just, we're all diverse. So we're all different, but we're all the same. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So We are same, same, but different. The inevitable... <laughs> biggest incentive that this will have is that you will not ever take your company public. That will be the first incentive that it's going to have because this is only on publicly traded companies. And the ones that are public could go private. And the ones that are public could decide to be private. Yes. You can go back to private. So right now we have the chance of buying into these companies like Apple and Netflix and Google and all these Netflix, by the way, never made a profit. All these companies uh, that, you know, they're letting us have a partial ownership in by taking some of our investment money. Now, a lot of these companies are going to decide to just go private. And a lot of new companies that would have gone public will decide that they're just going to stay private. I'm going to stay private. So, yeah, yeah, <laughs> I will too, for sure. Man, it's just, the, it reminds me of this, you know, we talked about the personality test and the psychology and all that. And the people with this dominant personality trait, that S, that sensory personality trait, they only think about things they can immediately see. They think of really simple solutions. They think of right now, what's the case? Um, they do not think several, several steps down the road. And that's the problem that we have, is that when you first say what this plan is, a worker is going to be like, oh, yeah, it sounds great. Yeah, that means I'm going to get more money. This is good. Those evil, terrible people. When, as is the case with almost every single policy proposal, it actually has more negative consequences than positive at the end of the day. And it ends up in the situation that we're in right now because we've instituted a lot of policies. That's because these systems are way more complicated than people will ever think about. Yeah. People think they could just be a CEO. You know what a CEO does? It's ridiculous. They work 80, 90 hours a week. Nonstop. They they are constantly making very big decisions that could cost the company a billion dollars if it's a bad decision. You're trying to organize a company that has... 10,000 locations and 2 million workers, you know, and you're trying to make sure that all that runs smoothly. Now, there's a lot of people below you that are doing a lot of the footwork on that, but you're at the top of the list saying yes or no on a lot of things. Responsibility lies with you. Yes. At the end of the day, you're the one who gets fired if they end up losing money. It's not just some simple job where you just sit in a glass office smoking a cigar all the time. Right. It's not what they do. If the business owner calls you at three o'clock in the morning on a Sunday, you answer. Yeah. You know, that's not family time. And my immediate response to this is workers already do get paid dividends because they get paid even though the company is not making any money. They get a better dividend structure than people who are invested in the company. Yep. They get money regardless of whether or not the company is making money. So they're already making money. If you, th- I was talking to you earlier about this. I didn't get the number, but if you think about the amount of money that the Waltons are worth from Walmart, it's like $160 billion, something like that. It's a lot of money. Then think about the amount of money that Walmart itself has paid out to employees since it started. It's probably like a trillion dollars. I don't know how much it is. We'll have to look it up, but literally, it's got to be close to a trillion dollars. 
So if you're the owner of the company over time, you've accumulated your net worth around the $160 billion, something like that. The whole family, by the way. They have to lump the whole family together. Um, so if you're the owner, you've accumulated that. But then the company over time has paid out like a trillion dollars to the people who worked for it. The workers did better technically over time. Now, they weren't all the same worker. That's obvious. But over time, the workers got paid a lot more than the owners of the company. They just weren't all the same worker. Mm -hmm. that, that's the problem. If you looked at a worker category and an owner category, the worker category has had more money paid out to it every single time. So th that already, th it's a problem because people who work at a company want to act like they don't get paid fairly. They don't get paid these dividends that they should be receiving just like Charlie said, I mean, make it fair. Hey, how about you don't get paid when we don't make money and you do get paid when we do? Do you want to go work somewhere like that? Is that what you want to do? No. You know, do you want to risk not getting a paycheck because the company had lower sales this month? No. Well, you don't want to do that. You don't want to do I'll that risk at all. It. I'll risk it myself. So Bernie said... <laughs> I was looking up these numbers real quick and I can't really find a quick... I'll have to look through like one. every year of their employee expenses to um, get that number. So in 2015, this is from uh, just one year, Walmart made a profit of $16 billion. This figure, when divided among Walmart's 2 million-plus employees worldwide, only works out to an additional 7355 per year, or $3.67 per hour. And that's with the company making zero profit. Aside from wages, Walmart also spent $500 million on hourly associate bonuses in 2015, as well as almost $900 million in retirement benefits. Walmart currently provides a 6% 401k match. So that's $1.5 billion in bonuses and retirement benefits that Walmart paid on top of the wages that they paid. That's just for one year. Yeah. One single year. How, how long has Walmart been in business? I don't know, since the 50s, 50s I, think? I think, maybe. Yeah, so, 50s. Yeah. I mean, it's a lot. 1.5 billion in just added benefits. That's that's not even counting the wages. Yeah, not even counting wages. I mean, you it's know, I had this conversation not that long ago with um, with HCA. There was somebody, um, the the owner, or the, the one of the guys who founded HCA, which is Hospital Corporation of America, is Tommy Frisch Jr. and it's a public company. And so his net worth, uh, he's the richest person in Tennessee. He has a net worth of about $8 billion. And somebody made a comment like, oh, well, I wish he would share some of that wealth. And I chimed in and I was like, well, he does. Yeah. Like HCA has 100,000 employees. Yeah. 100,000. The person who said that probably makes well over $100,000 a year. Yes. And, and they have 100,000 employees, which... A lot of them, doctors, nurses, I mean, think about the, the amount of money that is paid out in wages from HCA. Yeah. It's insane. Yes. It's absolutely insane. Over time, it is a lot more than what the owner is worth. Yes. It's just way a, more. It's just a lot of people. Yes. That's the problem. So Bernie said, this is kind of my last point on it. Bernie says that this plan is going to end corporate greed once and for all. Oh, of course it will. Yeah. Yeah. So... I don't know. I kind of wanted to dive into that because, you know, the, there's this idea that the people who run corporations are greedy and everyone else isn't, you know. Yeah. Um, who runs corporations? It's people. That's that's who run corporations. Who works at corporations? 
People. People. That's who works at corporations. One economist likes to put it, the same brand of homo sapien. Yep, that's the it. The same brand. Same person. Same brand. And that's the thing. People don't think that they're greedy. Everyone is greedy. You're just maybe not in the position that other people are in, but you're all greedy. Everyone listening. Don't say that you're not. Do you not want to make as much money as possible for the least amount of effort? Now, I'm not saying you don't work hard, but you want to make more money than you are right now. Yes, mm-hmm. you do. You do. You're not happy with the amount you're making. You want it to be more. Or if somebody offered it to you, would you take it? Exactly. If someone, Everyone would. If someone came up to you and said, hey, I'll pay you more money, you would go to it. It's, it's the same amount of money, or it's, it's more money, but it's the same amount of effort. Would you take it? Yes. Yep. Every How time. about if they said, I'll pay you the same amount of money and you will only have to put in 10% of the work that you're doing right now? Yes. Yes. You would take it. Absolutely. Everyone is trying to achieve that at all times. You're always achieving. You're always working towards some greedy goal. Doesn't mean it's evil. Just means it's greedy. You want the biggest benefit for the least amount of effort. You're all working towards that goal at all times. And so my question is, like, why do we think that the people who work at a company, the employees at a company, are somehow just inherently not greedy? And only the people who work at the top of the corporation are greedy. It's, it's madness. It reminded me of the line from The Patriot, because here's what you're doing. You're going to trade. Here's what you're going to do. You're going to trade your corporation. You're going to trade 10 greedy people for a million greedy people. And you're going to say that that's obviously going to be better for the yeah. society. Well, and this is what happened in Soviet Russia with the, you know, the bourgeoisie versus the proletariats. You know, like it the the uh you know, the poor class or whatever was just as greedy as the rich class. Yeah. They just didn't have the power, let's say, in that time frame. But it's there's no there's no uh Milton Friedman put it this way, like, where, like, where do you find these angels yeah. that are going to organize our, the society for us? Angels who, who aren't greedy. He, he said, it's always the other fellow who's greedy, right? It's never us. Yeah. yeah like, we're not the ones that's greedy. It's always someone else. And it's just like, uh, Jordan Peterson puts it this way. It's like when you try to classify the rich people, well, it's, it's everyone who makes more money than you do. Yeah, that's who's rich. That's who's rich. It doesn't matter what economic status you're in. If you're making a hundred grand a year, it's people who make more than a hundred. If you're making fifty grand a year, it's people that make more than fifty. Just like Bernie Sanders used to rail on the millionaires and billionaires. Now he only says billionaires. Yeah. What happened to the millionaires? You, oh, he became one. <laughs> yeah. So now it's only the billionaires right. that are greedy. Right. Exactly. So it's it's that's the same thing. And so what incentive structure does this create? Because you always have to look at that. Now you're going to have, you just say, we'll just use Walmart. Say Walmart's a greedy corporation, whatever. Now you're going to have 2.2 million people who are now working towards getting as much profit so they can get their dividends as much as possible that they can get in. Are you telling me that that's obviously going to be better in our society that 2.2 million people are now trying to work towards the most profit possible versus 10 or 20 people trying to work towards the most profit possible? How is that obviously going to be better? You're telling me that these people, these employees that are trying to make as much dividend money as they can, are not going to be in favor of policies that equal more money in their pocket at the end of the day? 
that's not obviously the case. It, it's, it just it drives me insane that people assume that it will be the case. Yeah, and it's just like any other thing that's complicated. It's not mm-hmm. obvious if you do one thing that it's not going to cause all kinds of other issues everywhere else. You know, in, in IT, we call this regression testing. So when you make an update to a, a piece of software, you have to make sure that that update, it fixes the problem that you have at hand, but you also have to make sure it doesn't break 20 other things yeah. that it could break. And this is, you know, Peterson makes this argument when it comes to uh, equality for women. You know, when he talks about women ent- entering the workforce, like things majorly changed with the introduction of the birth control pill. And now we have, we actually have more women working now in the workforce than we do men. Um, and that's all changed since the late sixties, early seventies. And the idea behind it is, is like, we don't know if this is actually a net benefit for women. Yeah. Like besides, we don't know that yet. We don't know the data because like the birth rates decreased. And so is that a good thing for women that the birth rates decreased, decreased? We, we now show studies where the, the, uh, the desire for women to want to marry has increased and the desire for men to want to marry has decreased. So is that a good thing that people aren't entering relationships like they once were? I mean, there are all kinds of negative consequences that could take place in societal change. And it's not, I'm not saying one thing is right and one thing's wrong, but there's so many more things to take into consideration than a, than a tweet. Yeah. (laughs) Like, like it just, there's, it's way more complicated than that. And people are, you're thinking of it way too sim- uh, simply minded. And if you implement one thing that you think might fix something, think about the million possibilities of what could be broken if you try to fix it. So, and because you can guarantee yourself, you're almost guaranteed to break something else. The one more question I have for you, Charlie, other than do you hate women, is <laughs> <laughs> the one more question I have for you is what structure does this set up in our society if you can now own a business without ever having to build a business hmm what does that what does that do is that going to cause more people to try to build businesses or less people to try to build businesses my first inclination would be less it seems like it would be statistically less so the overall health of the economy when you can now become a business owner simply by someone else starting a business and you forcing your way into ownership of it. When you can now be a business owner under that light and take in the profits of someone else's business that they created uh, by force, then what structure are you creating in the economy that creates an environment for growth at that point in time, for innovation, for creativity, for risk? What are you doing? You're decreasing it. Yeah, it's not good. It's not a good thing. No, because so, starting a business is hard. Yeah. It's just, it's not, and you know, when you were talking about those profits from Walmart, I was just thinking, you know, they're talking about like 20% ownership of those profits and then a small portion of that being paid out in dividends to the workers. At the end of the day, when Bernie can act like this is just going to help everyone tremendously, I mean, once you think about you know, what was that, it was the total profit would have been about $7,000 per year per worker. Now you're going to talk about 20% of that, so that's about $1,400 per year per worker. And then they're going to pay out a portion of that in dividends. So even if it was like half of that, which is an insanely high dividend, you, you wouldn't pay that much off of it. Uh, half of that 
ownership, 50% dividend on your ownership. That's not something that happens, by the way. So 50% ownership, that would be $700 extra per year that you would be giving to each person. That you can use to pay on the higher prices of your goods. Yes, that you can now use to pay for higher priced goods. (laughs) Exactly. Your grocery bill for the year went from $4,000. To now, you know, $6,000, but you got an extra 700 bucks to go towards yeah. it. <laughs> oh, don't worry. You're going to pay taxes out of that 700 bucks. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> the government's going to get theirs. Yeah. The dividend tax is higher than the capital gains tax. So it's, uh, uh, you're still going to pay a tax on that. So, just man. love. I just love some backdoor socialism. <laughs> backdoor socialism. That's what I'm going to coin it. Yep. That's pretty good. That's pretty good. Well, that that is all I had to say about that. It's a bad plan. Um, people, you know, we talk about wanting to say what the solutions to problems are. Sometimes you can't give a solution to something that isn't a problem. Uh, and that just might be the case here that we are looking at this greed and we're demonizing it uh, to a, to an extent that it doesn't need to be demonized. It's just envy and all of those things that go along with that towards people who have more than you do. That's not necessarily a fix for that. Well, the actual problem of people not having enough money to live the lifestyle that they want, well, there's several of them, but one of the biggest problems that Ron Paul's mentioned is inflation. The devaluing of your purchasing power is Mm -hmm. one. The dollar has lost 97% of its value since the Federal Reserve was started. Yeah. So there's a 90% drop in your purchasing power. The other problem that you, uh, one of the other problems that you have is all the regulation, which uh, decentivizes competition. So you don't have people making the the incentive to make efficient, um, innovative products at a cheaper cost uh, is significantly reduced because the burden to enter the market is so significantly high. It's not worth the risk anymore. You see that in car companies and uh, healthcare companies, pharmaceuticals, and all of that. The regulation is so burdensome that the, the there's a lack of competition, and so the actual fix for this is to move us towards a free market system, yeah. an actual true free market system, where the people are free to trade and choose, and innovation and efficiencies can be created, and it benefits everyone. Everyone. I actually said on Instagram yesterday, and I was happy because it actually got screenshot and then put into a Twitter post that got a bunch of retweets. So I didn't tell you about that yet. But they were asking about, um, you know, what do we do about the poor? How can he help them? How does welfare make them more poor? All, all these things. And I just said simply that uh, what a poor person needs, what people need, is more opportunity. They need more jobs. They need more things available for them to be valuable in society. And I'm not saying that you, you, yourself, that you're not valuable. That's not what I'm saying. But there is a thing, when you are poor, when you don't have any money, that means that you are, in fact, not creating a lot of value in society where people are just giving you money for the value that you're creating. So what we need for people who are poor is more opportunities. The best thing that could happen for a McDonald's worker is that a Burger King opens right next door. And then the next best thing is that a Wendy's open right next door. And then the Taco Bell opens right next door. And if there's the same amount of people available in the workforce, then those businesses are going to have to bid for that worker's time. They're all going to have to offer better benefits or higher wages to try and get that worker's time. So the best thing that could happen for anyone who is poor 
is for the free market to just go crazy and create tons of new jobs, tons of new opportunities for you to provide value in society so you can get a representation of that value, which is money for you to use in your life. So that is the fix. We Everything is an auction all the time. You're auctioning off your labor all the time. Mm-hmm. What's an auction look like? When you go to the auction, you're going to sell an item and there's only one person there. Is it going to get bid up really high? No, it's not going to get bid up really high. What that person bids for it, that's going to be what it gets sold for. That's what we're creating in the market where we have tons of regulation, we hamper competition, we get it to where we have a government-created monopoly or duopoly in some kind of a some kind of industry, and then you've only got one person bidding for the laborer's time. The auction gets a lot better if you've got 20 people there that are bidding on that item. You'll see the price be driven up. And that's what you're doing every single time you go out there and you say, I want to sell my time to you. How much can I get for my time? You're going to an auction at that point in time. You need as many people, as many buyers at that auction as possible if you want to get more money for your time. And all these government policies, all they do is they decrease the amount of buyers in that auction. They make the price as low as possible. That's not what you want. Nope. Nope. Not not at all. So, um, hey guys, we really appreciate all of you hanging out with us today for this extra long episode and listening to this. You can go to BernieLies.com if you want to read the article I wrote up on this today. A lot of the stuff we talked about, all of the other articles, anytime Bernie Sanders puts out a new policy proposal... I spend some time going through it, and I write a scathing review of his policy proposal. So if you want to hear all of our thoughts on that, you can go to BernieLies.com. You can follow us on Instagram, at GoodMorningLiberty, Twitter, at GoodAMLiberty, because Good Morning Liberty is too long for Twitter. Uh, you can also go to Facebook, look us up, Good Morning Liberty, and you can go to GoodMorningLiberty.us to read some of those great articles on politics and economics. There's one thing Bernie Sanders is right on that we agree with is the Federal Reserve. He yeah. wants he wants to audit the Fed, the central bankers. Um, even though he proposes policies that do essentially the same thing, yeah, it's kind of funny. But anyway, that's you know he does lie often, and his plans are absolutely atrocious. But there there's one thing we agree on there: bring the troops home might be another thing. Yeah, that's a good one. Um, but anyway, uh, another way you can support the show, which we appreciate you guys very much. We're getting uh, or, I think we're, we're pretty much getting orders every day. I see him come through, I'm getting quite a few orders. So that's at goodmorningliberty.us/shop, or you can go to gmlconnect.com. And you'll find a shop link on there to grab your favorite Liberty merch. All that money goes directly into our pockets as greedy capitalists, and we spend it on whatever we want. Yep. It just so happens <laughs> to be that what we want to spend it on is, is defeating socialism. Defeating socialism, yeah. So that's what you're doing. You are helping us defeat the uh, the backdoor American socialists from taking <laughs> over. Uh, people complain about china taking over communism well the first step in that is socialism so true if you don't want china taking over you got to defeat socialism right where it's at and bring our bring us to uh bring us to free markets so if you guys do all of that i'm actually out the next couple days but nate's probably going to be delivering you some great content so stick ahead for that stick ahead whatever what stick around yeah and hit that subscribe button we forgot to tell people at the beginning of the show to hit that Dang, Dang subscribe button. Now we didn't get any subscribers. So that you hear Nate's uh, lovely voice come at you tomorrow and Thursday. And I'll be back on Friday. You guys do all that. I hope you guys have a good day and a good morning, Liberty.